Okay, good evening everyone, Shalom Aleichem. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very honored to be at the, the inaugural Na'ale, that's the name of it, seminary address. Um, Isru Chag, Isru Chag is a very important day. Actually, Isru Chag Shavuos is more important than any other Isru Chag because actually, especially this year, because since the second day of Yom Tif Shabbos, Therefore, we could not bring the Karbanos of Yom Tif on Shabbos. So since we couldn't bring the Karbanos of Yom Tif on Shabbos, today would be the day that we would be makr of the Karbanos of Yom Tif. So in a sense, today is a quasi-Yom Tif. So of all of the Isru Chags, today is the most important of all the Isru Chags. Today I'm going to speak about your favorite mitzvah. But it might be, it's a very difficult mitzvah. And let's begin with the following episode. A baby was about to be born. Actually, one baby was born. The first baby came out. He was bright red. He was like a red monster. And then his brother came out. And his hand was holding the heel of Esav. By the way, why was Yaakov holding on to Esav's heel? When I was a kid, they used to pull you by the ear or they... Usually you don't pull somebody by the heel. Why was he pulling the heel of Esav? Well, because Esav is compared to what animal? Pig. And the pig does not chew its cud, but it has split hooves. So it has one kosher simon. So Yaakov didn't want to touch Esav, but at least his hoof, his split hoof, he was okay touching. That's why Yaakov was grabbing onto the heel of Esav. Other Sadius Nachmanisha says the other way around that because Yaakov held his heel, therefore the heel was sanctified, and that is why Esav now has split hooves. But in any event, Yatsa v'achar ken Yatsa achiv, v'yadoi oichezes v'akiv Esav, v'yikra shemoi, what they call him? What's his name? Yaakov. So what does Yaakov mean? Heel. It's such a beautiful name. Heel. You know what's, what's your name? I'm the bottom of the foot. That's so nice. That's such a nice, beautiful name. And we, in turn, are called Yaakov. B'nei Yaakov. Torah tziva lanu Moshe. Meirasha kihilas Yaakov. We're all heels. That's a very nice, beautiful name. Why? First of all, why would we be called a heel? Secondly, you know, a name is supposed to capture the essence of something. Was this such a seminal event in the life of Yaakov Avinu that it captures the essence of Yaakov. What is Yaakov? Yaakov is the one who grabs the heel. I could think of many more important things that Yaakov Vino did in his life than grabbing the heel of Esau. Didn't he learn in the Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever? Didn't he learn uninterrupted for 14 years? And why didn't we call him Lamed, Oisek Batayra? What do we call him? Heel. Why is Yaakov called heel? So, the Chazoynish was once asked the following very difficult question. This was probably the most difficult question Chazanish was ever asked. Chazanish was asked, somebody, Chazanish once came into yeshiva to give a fahar. So he's sitting there and he's starting to ask the boys questions. And one boy sitting in the back, he's, ooh, 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 ooh. So the Rebbe says, you know, Chazanish asks you the questions. You don't ask him the questions. But the boy didn't let up. He, did, he kept on, ooh, 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 ooh. So Chazoynish said, you know what, after class, you'll ask me the question, now I'm giving you the fahir, now I'm giving you the test. So right after the test, the boy comes darting up to Chazoynish, 
And he says, Chazanish, I have a question for you. What's the question? What did you do that you became the Chazanish? That was probably the most difficult question Chazanish was ever faced with. And the Chazanish thinks, and he thinks, and he thinks, and the Chazanish says, Kibir Avaim. In the Zuchus of Kibir Avaim, I became the Chazanish. Furthermore, Furthermore, Reb Chaim Knievsky, any bar mitzvah bachar that will come to Reb Chaim Knievsky and ask Reb Chaim Knievsky, which mitzvah should I specialize in? Should I focus on? Reb Chaim would always say, based on the Yushalmi, focus on kibud avayim. Moreover, if people came to Reb Aaron Leib Steinman for a segula for shaduchim, Reb Aaron Leib said, segula for shaduchim, People came to Reb Chaim Knievsky. By the way, here's a good school before I tell you what Reb Chaim said. Reb Chaim said, and besides me and Ahuva, but anyone else here, Sfardim? Yeah? So, you know, you have Birchas Kohanim, right? Reb Chaim said that during Birchas Kohanim, listening to Birchas Kohanim carefully is a school for Shaduchim, especially when you get to the word Vichuneka. You should be mechaven. Hashem should show you chen with a zivug type. So, in fact, Reb Chaim would tell Ashkenazim to go to a Svardi minyan to hear more berachas kohanim. Anyway, now moreover, you could ask a kohen. Uh, you're a kohanim. You could ask a kohen to have the name in mind when you say vichuneka. It's interesting, Reb Chaim Kanyevsky wrote it in the Sefer Siach Shalich. But anyway, another school of Reb Chaim would say is the mitzvah of Kibar Avaim. So why exactly is Kibar Avaim so important? It's only one of the 613 mitzvahs. There are many, many mitzvahs. Uh, every mitzvah is precious. Every mitzvah is important. What exactly is so important about Kibar Avaim that the Chazoinish said that what elevated him to the status of the Chazoinish was the mitzvah of Kibar Avaim? Who remembers? So Yaakov Avinu is masqueraded as Esav. And he comes into the room. And Yitzchak, of course, can't see. And Yitzchak says, Re'ei! He thinks it's Esav. Re'ach b'ni! Kere'ach sadeh! Asher berchai Hashem! See the scent of my son! It's like the scent of a field that God blessed. Rashi says, Yitzchak sensed something. What did he sense? The scent of Gan Eden entered with Yaakov Avinu. Why did the scent of Gan Eden enter with Yaakov Avinu? Because Yaakov Avinu was being Mekayim a mitzvah. What mitzvah was Yaakov Avinu being Mekayim? Kibar Avayim. And this mitzvah was so holy that it ushered in with it the scent of Gan Eden. Did you ever hear anyone perform any other mitzvah that you could smell? I mean, did you ever, you know, your friend came to your house and you went, you smell like you just, uh, you just davened. First of all, that would be bizarre. That would be, that would be, what do we call it? Antisocial? What is it called? (laughs) That would be socially off. That would be very awkward. But man, you start smelling people to determine what mitzvahs they did. 
No, I, I recommend doing that. No, I'm joking. Not, okay, don't do that. But did you ever smell something and say, oh, that smells like the following mitzvah? What does Rashi mean that Yitzchak smelled the reach of Gan Eden? Since when do mitzvahs have a smell? Mitzvahs smell? You know, they have Scentify now. So maybe they have different scent. You could get um, Shiluach HaKen scent and um, a, a Mincha scent. And I don't know. But Rashi seems to say the mitzvah of Kibbut Ava'im has a smell. What exactly is the smell of the mitzvah of Kibbut Ava'im? Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Yaakov Avinu. So Yaakov Avinu is in the house of his father-in-law. Who is the father-in-law of Yaakov Avinu? What do you say? David HaMelech. Rabbi Tarfain. Rabbi Chaim Knievsky. Who was the father-in-law of Yaakov Avinu? Lavan. Who said Lavan? Very good. You knew. Lavan. Lavan Harami. He's your grandfather. Right? He's my grandfather. He's our grand. He's our Zayda Zay Lavan. Saba Lavan. And don't put it on a resume. Never, don't, don't put, not everyone has to go on the resume. You don't have to put Terach. You don't have to, Terach doesn't go on the resume. Lavan doesn't go on the resume. But, um, only, only good people. Lavan, so Yaakov is staying by Lavan, and it's time to go home. So first Yaakov has Ruvain, then Shemai, then Levi, then Yehuda. That's a lot, that's a long time to be by your in-laws. You know, mostly they have one or two kids and then they go. Now he's still going. Yisachar, Zavulan, Dan. He's there for years and years. It's a very long time to be by your in-laws. And what happens? The Pasuk says, After Rachel had Yosef, Yaakov says to his father, Okay, I have to go. Why only when Yaakov had Yosef? What was it? Why was he there so long? Why did he wait until Yosef was born? So remember the reason? Because Yaakov Avinu was headed back to Esav. And who is the adversary, the antithesis, the kryptonite, if you were, of Esav? Kryptonite is Yosef. Yosef and Esav are arch enemies. Remember what Rashi says? Esav is compared to straw. Yosef is compared to the flame. Yaakov is a fire and Yosef is the flame. And not until Yosef is born could Yaakov Avinu face Esav. In fact, do you remember in Parshas Vayigash, when Yaakov gets word that Yosef is still alive, he says as follows, Vayoymer Yisrael, Rav Oid Yosef Benichai. And the Mepharshim are bothered. What does it mean, Rav Oid Yosef Benichai? What's Rav and Oid? It's superfluous. It's a double usher. What's Rav Oid? says, the Chumas Hadashan says something astounding. What was Esav's name? What is Esav called in the Chumash? When Rivka had a Nevuah, so she goes to Shem Be'ever, and they say, Shnei goyim bevitnech, Ushnei lu'umim imei ayich yiparedu, Ula'oyim milo'im ye'emats, Virav, the older one, Ya'avoyed will serve, well, so you're the younger one. So Esau is called Rav. Remember that? 
Remember, the only Rav in the whole Chumash is Esav. Rav! Esav is called Rav. So Yaakov said, Esav, you were getting all excited that Yosef is dead. Vayomer Yisrael. Rav! Meaning he's addressing Esav. Watch out. Oid Yosef Benichai. Yosef is still alive. And you're, the flame is still around. You better be careful now. That's what Yaakov means. Vayomer Yisrael. Rav. Oid. Yosef Benichai. So Yosef is the adversary of who? Esau. So, I was wondering about this. So you have these two forces in the world. There is Esau, and there is Yosef. Esau is straw, Yosef is the flame. You would expect that there must be in the Chumash some real encounter between Esau and Yosef, and Yosef probably gave some real knockout punch to Esav. I mean, think about it. The two opposing forces in the world are Esav and Yosef. Esav is the straw, Yosef is the flame. You would expect there must be some, like, you know, wrestling match or boxing match where they're really at each other. Does anybody remember? Did Yosef and Esav ever meet? Do you remember ever Yosef meeting Esav? Okay, we're going to come back to that in a minute. But I want to share with you another observation. This is the observation of Rabbi Aaron Leib Steinman. Rabbi Aaron Leib Steinman observed that maybe two generations ago, or three generations ago, very few people had grandparents. Especially after the Holocaust, my father didn't have grandparents. Grandparents were killed in the Holocaust. For, and uh, many generations before, people did not have long uh, life expectancy. So it was rare to have grandparents. In our generation, sometimes you have grandparents themselves that are taking care of their elderly parents. You know anybody like that? Yeah, do you know? People have great-grandparents. People's grandparents are taking care of their parents. It's sort of the first time in history that we find that grandparents are taking care of their parents. Why did Hashem arrange that in our generation we should encounter such a phenomenon? So back to Esau and Yosef. I was wondering, you know, I want to share with you a chidosh. Because uh, in honor of the inaugural Na'ala Seminary Great Neck event, I'm going to share with you a chidosh. You ready for this chidosh? You ready? I, I hope you're prepared. Who was Zoycha to have the antithesis and the, the adversary of Esau? Who's the mother of the person who's going to destroy Esau? Who's the mother of Yosef? Rachel. That means Rachel was Zoycha to have the, the, the destroyer of Esau. Why was she Zoycha to that? I think it's very simple. We know that Rachel was destined to marry Yaakov, and Leah was destined to marry Esau. And that's why Leah's eyes were very tender. She was always crying that she would fall into the lot of Esau. When that fateful night, when Rachel gave the simanim to Leah, and now Leah is going to marry Yaakov, who do you think Rachel thought she would have to marry? Rachel thought she would have to marry Esau. That's why when Yosef was born... Rachel finally said, Asaf Hashem es 
now I don't have to marry Esau because even after Rachel married Yaakov, but she wasn't having children, she thought Yaakov would dismiss her and she would have to go marry Esau. So when Rachel gave Leah to Yaakov, that means Rachel was giving herself over to Esau. So Hashem said, Rachel, you think you're losing out by giving Yaakov to Leah. Not only do you not lose out on Yaakov, not only do you not have to marry Esau, B'schuseh, you'll merit to have the the adversary of Esau. You'll, be, you'll merit to have the child who'll destroy Esau. That's why Rachel was zoicha to have Yosef. Because she gave up Leah to Yaakov, and she thought she would have to fall into the lot of Esau, so she was zoicha to have the destroyer of Esau. Yeah? You got that? Okay. So, if Yosef is the, what we call, Sitnoi Shel Esau, we would expect that there should be some major encounter between Yosef and Esau, and Yosef gives Esau this knockout punch, and he knocks out Esau for good, and yet you look in the whole Chumash, we don't really find an encounter between Yosef and Esau. Oh, alas, we do. We do find one encounter. And that is as Esau is coming with his 400 men. So what happened? Fatigash. Bila Viladeha. Zilpa Viladeha. Fatigash Gamalea Viladeha. Viachar Nigash. Yosef Veracha. Remember that? First Bila and then her kids. And then Zilpa and then her kids. And then Leah and then her kids. And then Yosef and then Rachel. And Rashi says, why is it out of order? Usually the, mo- the mom goes first. Says Rashi, Yosef says, I don't want that monster laying his eyes on my mother. So he raises himself up and he blocks the vision of Esau. And that's why he was given the bracha, Alei Oyen. That's the only encounter between Yosef and Esau. Isn't it anticlimactic? You would expect major drama between Esau and Yosef. You would expect, you know, Esau pulls out a sword and then Yosef pulls out a spear, and they and they're fencing with each other, and and you know, and Esau and Yosef jumps over the sword and he stabs it. No, nothing. It just he goes like that. That's the whole thing. How boring. I mean, this is Esau being the Sitnai shell. This is uh, um, Yosef being the Sitnai shell. Esau. When Yaakov was coming back to Eretz Yisrael. He was very afraid. Who remembers what was Yaakov Avinu afraid of? He was afraid of a zechus that Esav had. Which zechus did Esav have? Esav, we know, was a rasha, but nevertheless, he had one specific zechus. Esav excelled in the mitzvah of kibbutz. In fact, he was so proficient in kibbutz. There was a man by the name of Roshim ben Gamliel. And Hashem Gamliel said, I don't come, I don't hold the candle to Esav's kibbutz because Esav would wear special begodim to serve his father. And uh, Rav Shimon Gamliel did not wear special begodim to wear his, to serve his father. So Rav Gamliel said, I don't come close to Esav and kibbutz Abim. Now I want to, uh, I want to bring out a very important hashkafa. Think about what Rav Shimon Gamliel is saying. Rav Shimon Gamliel is saying, that I don't hold a candle to Esav and Kibbut Av 
because he would wear special vagadim and I don't. So I have one simple question. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. So put on special begadim when you serve your father. But he's, he's admitting, he's acknowledging, he's pinpointing how Esav was better than him. And the only way he's better than him is that Esav wore nice clothing. So put on nice clothing. You know what the answer the Briskorov says? That when it comes to the way you dress, I'm putting that for men, but you have to know how this applies. Wearing special clothing is a chumrah. You're only allowed to do it if you're on the madrega. Otherwise, it's empty behavior. Esav really felt that he should serve his father in a dignified way by putting on special begadim. So because he really felt that, for him it's appropriate to wear those begadim. But if you're not on that level and you just want to put on something that makes you look or feel a certain way and you're not on that level, it's just gaiva. You're not allowed to do it. Sort of the opposite of what you would have thought. You would have thought, okay, anything that's good, I should just do it. No, when it comes to chumrah, you only if you're on the level are you allowed to do a chumrah. A person might think, you know, what, what could be wrong with doing a chumrah? No, you have to be allowed to observe the chumrah. If you're not on the level, then it's arrogant. And arrogance is a lot worse than not doing the chumrah. Anyway, that's discussion for a different time. But Rav Shem Gamliel says that I don't hold a candle to Esau. Why? Because Esau wore special begadim. So that's very interesting. Esav wore special begadim when he served his father. What else do we know about Esav's kibbutz? We know that Esav would risk his life to honor his father. How do I know that? Because when Esav um, sold the birthright to Yaakov Avinu, who remembers the words that Esav said? He said, Hine anoichi lamos. I am headed to death. What did Esav mean, Hine anoichi lamos? What the Sefer Hasidim says, Esau, every single day, he risked his life to honor his father. How did he risk his life? He went hunting. I once had this chos, or the privilege, or the opportunity, to speak in South Africa. So as part of the trip, we went on a yarche kala to a safari. And in the safari, we walked through the bush. And when you walk through the bush, you get up early in the morning, and basically you have about ten guys, and you have two rangers. One guy with a, with a rifle leading you in the front, and one guy with a rifle behind you in the back. And wherever you go, the, the guy in the front has to like, like, you know, survey a mile area, and the guy in the back has to survey, because you never know, there could be a lion lurking in the back. It's, pre- it's pretty frightening. <laughs> you know, there actually the story goes, um, um, there were two guys uh, on a safari, and one of them is, you know, they get a little suspicious. They hear something in the ruffling in the, in the bush. And one of them starts like jogging very slow. So he says to, the other guy says, you know, what, you're jogging very slow. If there's a lion here, you're, you're going to have to run a lot faster than that. He said, no, I'm just going to have to run faster than you. <laughs> it was a joke. Because if he doesn't, should I explain? Let me explain the joke. So, 
because if, as long as he runs faster than the other guy, the lion will eat the other guy. Ah. So, so Esau risked his life every day to honor his father by going hunting. So every day, by the way, every single day, Esau went hunting. He risked his life. And what does he wear? He wears special begadim. And on that fateful day, when Yitzhak Avinu wanted to give the brachas to Esau, and he says, Bani, what did Esav respond to his father when Yitzchak called Esav? Esav said one word. Hineni. What does Hineni mean? Behold, here I am. Who is the last person to say Hineni? Yitzchak at the Akedah. Avraham at the Akedah. Meaning, this was, Yitz, this was Esav's Akedah. Esau was literally going to risk his life to honor his father, and by doing so, he was going to uproot the entire Akedas Yitzchak. He was was one against the other. So I'm thinking, if Yosef is the adversary of Esau, that means Yosef has to match up to Esau, measure for measure, in which Indian, specifically in Kibbut Avaim. So listen to this. Um, about a year and a half ago, I went to Turkey, Izmir. And in Izmir, I went to the kever of a great tzaddik, Rabbi Eliyahu HaKohen of Izmir. You ever hear of him? Rabbi Eliyahu, related? Rabbi Eliyahu HaKohen of Izmir. He was a Turkish um, god of Israel. Actually, uh, one of the one of the students here tonight is a direct descendant. Miss Gladstein actually is a direct descendant of the Shevet, Hal- Shevet Moser of Izmir, Svardik. How? Can't explain. I don't know exactly. But, so I was at his kever, and he says an amazing shot. He says, you know, we all know that Yosef had a Ksonas Pasim. The Pasuk says, Vayehav Yaakov Um... As Yosef, ki ben zikunim hulai, ve asalai, kisainas pasim. Do you remember this pasuk? That Yaakov loved Yosef. So we translate it, and since Yaakov loved Yosef, Yaakov made for Yosef a kisainas pasim. No, says the Shevet Musar. Yaakov loved Yosef, and therefore Yosef loved Yaakov back. And Yosef wanted to be mekayim the mitzvah of kibbutz Avayim the same way. Esav is Mekayim, Kibbutz And therefore, Yosef made for himself Kisoynes Pasim to wear a special beged when he served his father to be able to match measure for measure what Esav did to his father. So the Asalah Kisoynes Pasim doesn't mean what Yaakov made for Yosef, it's what Yosef made for himself. The question is, is Yosef willing to risk his life to honor his father? So remember on that fateful day, the day the day that Yosef went to check on the welfare of his brothers, and Yaakov says, Go check, check how they're doing. Yosef knew what this meant. Check how they're doing. Without any security, he knew the brothers had it in for him. He knew this was very dangerous. He knew he was risking his life 
to fulfill the mitzvah of Kibbut Av. Who remembers? What did Yosef say when Yaakov asked him to go? Yineni. Got to outdo Esau, measure for measure. This is the central battle in Chumash and in history. Yaakov was afraid to encounter Esav because Yaakov was greater than Esav, but not in Kibbutz. But Yosef, Yosef had the edge. Yo- Yosef almost had a ma'ala in Kibbutz more than Yaakov Avinu, and he could be the adversary against Esav. Actually, Rav Yonisan Ibishitz writes, if you remember this. Who was the savior in the times of Purim? Her name was Esther, yeah? Esther, what do we know about Esther? Um, she had no father and she had no mother. The Medrash says that God swore, Chayecha, I swear that the only one who could redeem you in the times of Purim is someone who has no father and someone who has no mother. Why? says, Rabbi Yonasen because Haman is the Talmud Muvak, the descendant of Esau. Which means Haman is fueled by the merit of Esau. What's the merit of Esau? Kibarav. So who could possibly overcome Haman? Is there anybody in this world that, that could have an equal measure of Kibarav to Esau? But says Rabbi Yonasan there's a principle that someone who is not able to do a mitzvah because circumstances don't allow them. They're ne'enas. They're, they're circumstances beyond their control. They're an orphan. They never had a father. They never had a mother. So their whole life, they're wishing, they're yearning, they're pining. I wish I could have had parents to mekayim the mitzvah of kibber of aim. So then we activate the following principle. There's a principle, chishev lasois mitzvah. Somebody thinks to do a mitzvah. Vinenas, and they have extenuating circumstance. Male olav ki'ilu asa. It's considered as if you did it. You know, there's a rule that any time a human being does a mitzvah, the mitzvah is automatically imperfect. Because human beings are, by definition, finite and imperfect. But if you wish you could have done a mitzvah, and you don't. And God gifts you the mitzvah. What kind of mitzvah do you think the Rebbe is going to give you? He's give you a perfect mitzvah. You know, like the, the Maggid says, um, so there's once a shidduch between the richest girl in town and the son of the assistant of the mule driver. He wasn't even the mule driver. He was the assistant. So... It was a little bit of a imbalanced shidduch. And the rich man says, look, I'm very wealthy. I'll take care of everything. I'll take care of the food and the liquor and the orchestra and the photographer. And I'll take care of all the arrangements for the wedding. The only thing you need to do is you need to buy your kid a suit. So the father of the groom takes the boy into some bargain basement dump in Bara Park and he gets him some, you know, shmata of a suit, and the boy comes to the wedding. The only thing is it's raining outside, and he's riding on a horse, and the horse trips over, and the boy, the chassan, falls into a pile of mud, and he rips the suit, and the suit is dirty, and the father of the girl takes one look at him, and he says, what are we going to do now? 
I only asked you to do one thing, get the, put the kid a suit, and you got him a shmata, and now it's ripped. You know what? Now it's on me. But when I get him a suit, I'm not buying him a suit in a basement bargain dump place in Borough Park. I'm calling in a custom tailor. I'm getting him my kind of suit. Says the Dumna Magid. It's the same thing. When a person actually does a mitzvah, so the mitzvah is automatically mitigated by human circumstance. But when a person wishes they could be makayim a mitzvah, and they can't, Hashem gifts you the mitzvah in the perfect sense. Actually, however, Victor Miller, writes that davening is one of the greatest arenas that we have to accomplish in this world. Because what we're limited by circumstance, we're unlimited in what we wish we could do. So if when you're saying, saying, I wish I could rebuild Yerushalayim. So then Hashem says, oh, you wish you did, but you can't because Mashiach's not here and you don't live in Eretz Yisrael, you don't have the resources. I'll consider it as if you built it. You, if you wish, you know, imagine a doctor. How many ill people could he cure in one day? A good doctor, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15? But imagine somebody says, Rufa'inu, and they daven, I wish I could cure all the Chayla Yisrael. So what you're limited by circumstance, you're unlimited in your Ratzayim. So sometimes Hashem does not, puts a person in a matzav in life, because when you can't do a mitzvah, but you wish you could, Actually, in the eyes of Hashem, it's considered more as if you did it. But now let's talk about Yosef and Esau. So Yosef also is risking his life to honor his father. His father says, go check on the welfare of your brothers. And Yosef knows he's going to be risking his life to check on the welfare of his brothers. And Yosef is wearing a special kasoynes pasim to honor his father. So they're really, it's a pretty even match between Yosef and Esau. And this is the match between Klal Yisrael and the nations of the world from the beginning of time until today. Yaakov Avinu was afraid of Esau. Mordechai was afraid of Haman because the zchus of Esau lasts until the end of time. So, but the question is, in what way did Yosef ever overcome Esau? They had this really innocuous minor encounter. What did Yosef do in that little encounter that he gave Esau the knockout punch? And I believe the answer is, there's one area of the kibbutz of, of Esau that he was an abysmal failure. And that is, even though he honored his father, he never honored his mother. In fact, Esav hated his mother. Esav and Rivka did not get along. In fact, when Rivka died, when Rivka Yimeno passed away, Esav did not come to the funeral, the Rambam says. Did you notice that? The Torah doesn't write that Rivka passed away. Why not? It's not in the Chumash. The Ramban is troubled. Why does the Torah never write? We have, um, Vayiyu, Chayei, Sarah, We talk about Sarah. We talk about Rachel. Rizka, the Torah, never says she passed away. You know why? Because we didn't want to embarrass her because her son, Esau, didn't come to the Lord because he hated her. So as great as Esau was in Kibbutz Av, he was lousy in Kibbutz Aim. 
And therefore, in the one encounter between Esav and Yosef, Yosef is going to give a very sly, secretive, knockout punch to Esav. Because Esav sees Bila Viladeha, Zilpa Viladeha, Leia Viladeha. But then Esav is about to see Rachel. And Esav knew he was supposed to marry, he wanted to marry Rachel. And after Leah married Yaakov, he really wanted to marry Rachel. And he was going to lay his dirty eyes on Rachel. And Yosef raises himself up and he says, Esav, don't you dare lay your dirty eyes on my mother. But what Yosef was telling Esav is, you may, be, you may excel in Kibbut Av, but you would never, ever protect your mother. You would never show honor to your mother. But I, I up you. Because not only do I excel in Kibbut Av, I also excel in Kibbut Aim. And in that little encounter that we almost, that almost goes unnoticed in the Chumash, Yosef delivers a real knockout punch to Esau. And this is the battle until the end of time. Says Rav Aaron Leib Steinman, in the last generations before Mashiach comes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to give us the opportunity to deliver the final knockout punch to Esau. So you know what Hashem does? For the first time in history, Hashem gives people more arichas yomim. And you can have situations where grandparents themselves are still given the opportunity to honor their parents. Because in the end of days, when we're close to the finish line and we really got to knock out Esau, Hashem has given opportunities that never before in history existed. So actually, you know, it works both ways. Because if you're fortunate enough to have parents and grandparents, then Hashem is giving extra opportunity for Kibbutz. And if, unfortunately, you don't have that, that great Zechiah, then you can always think about Esther, where sometimes Yibam Shem takes away the opportunity so that the person could wish they could do it, and in that sense, it's even greater than if they did. So whatever situation a person is in, it's tailor-made for them to be able to mekayim this mitzvah. But here's a million dollar question. There are a lot of mitzvahs. Why is this mitzvah like the central battle of world history? Why is this the most important mitzvah? This is the mitzvah that's going to knock out Esau. Why is this such an important mitzvah? So I saw in a sefer called Alehi Gayayim. He brings from Rav Shimon Shwab that when Adam Harishan ate from the Etzadas, he literally destroyed the world. Before he ate from the Etzadas, people were not supposed to die. Before he ate from Eitzadas, there wasn't supposed to be Tsar Gidol Banim. There wasn't supposed to be Tsar Leda. People didn't have to go to work. Every difficulty encountered in the world is because Adam ate the Eitzadas. He destroyed the whole world. He downgraded the whole world. Not only that, he downgraded every single mitzvah in the Torah was downgraded because he ate from Eitzadas. So, before the Eitz Hadas, a mezuzah would have been, wow. A chesed would have been tremendous. Even Talmud Torah would have been incredible. He ruined everything. 
Everything was downgraded. There's only one mitzvah he didn't affect. There's only one mitzvah that retains, it's what we call primordial form. There's only one mitzvah that retains its pristine existence of what it was like before the sin. You know what that mitzvah is? Keep it You know why? Because Adam did not have a father and mother. So the mitzvah didn't exist. So you can't ruin something that's not there. So he ruined everything except for honor your father and mother. So therefore, that mitzvah still smells like Adam Harisha and Ganeda. And therefore, when Yaakov Avinu came in to show honor to his father, Yitzchak said, Whoa, it smells like, it smells like Ganeda. Because the mitzvah of Kibir Avaim was unaffected by the sin of Adam Arisha. In a certain sense, as great as Esav was in Kibir Avaim, Yosef was even greater. Because Esav excelled in Kibir Av, and Yosef excelled in Kibir Aim. So I ask you, where did Yosef learn this from? How was he so great in Kibir Aim? Where did Esau learn this from? Uh, you know where he learned it from? He learned it from his father. Says Tysus, why was Yaakov holding on to the heel of Esau? Why was he holding on to the heel? Says Tysus, Yaakov in utero said, you know, my mother's having twins. First Esau's going to come out, and then my mother's going to have to open up again and let me out. It's going to be double as painful. It's not right to her. I'm going to hang on to Esau so we will come out in one shot because I want to protect my mother from Tsar. That's why Yaakov was holding on to the heel of Esau. He was protecting his mother from the Tsar of Leda. And that was such a seminal moment in the life of Yaakov, that of all the good deeds that Yaakov ever did, he's called okay, Yaakov. He led Tyre for 14 years. But of everything he ever did, his name for posterity is Yaakov because he held on to the heel of his brother to protect his mother from Tsar. And Yosef, and that's his whole entity, that's his essence, that's his name. And let's think about the name of Yosef. Yosef is Asaf Elaikim Eschar Also, I protect my mother from shame. So the definition of a Jew is Kibar Av, but even more than that, Kibar Aim. Kibar Aim is, so to speak, the Zuchus that could give that knockout punch to Esav, and bring Klai Yisrael to the finish line. It's the mitzvah that retains its primordial form from before the sin of Adam Arishain. Perhaps this is the reason why the Arizal had a custom that Friday night, you know, it's very interesting. You ever notice, you say, um, in Sfardim, say, uh, okay? You say the whole thing, right? Um, you know who wrote it? Reb Shlomo al If you noticed, in the ten stanzas of L'chadodi, there's basically nothing about Shabbos. And that's not about Shabbos. What is it about? It's about the Geula. It's about rebuilding Yushalayim. It's about restoring Malchus based David. It's about bringing back Nevuah. It's about expanding Yushalayim. 
Why? Listen carefully. Because what Shabbos is in time, Yushalayim is in space. There's a concept in Kabbalah, Ashan, Oilam, Shana, Nefesh, which means there are parallels in time and space. What Shabbos is in days of the week, Yushalayim is in place. So as we're awaiting the Shabbos, we are simultaneously awaiting the rebuilding of Yushalayim. It's the same idea. Therefore, Friday night, the minag of the Ari, Friday night, what's the minag of the Ari? You come home and you kiss the hand of your mother. You know that Rizal says that? Before Friday night at the Suda, the Ari was makbid. Why? Because since this is a time of bringing Geula, and what's going to bring the Nakiah punch to Esau is keyboard aim, the Ari was makbid, lenashek, yidei imo. Everything we're saying, I think, is alluded to in a few psukim at the end of Parshas Taldans. And that is, Esav is proficient in kibud av. Yaakov specializes in both. So Yitzchak tells Yaakov, don't take a woman from the Benoist Canaan. Go to my family. And then the next Pasuk says, Vayar Esav kirois benois kinoan be'ene Yitzchak aviv. Doesn't care about his mother. So Esav goes and he doesn't marry someone in Canaan because his father said. But Yaakov, Vayishma Yaakov el aviv ve'el imoy. So it's interesting, we're coming out of the Yom Tif of Shavuos. And when Hashem offered the Torah to the nations of the world, you know what they said? Hey God, you know why you want the Jews to believe in you? Because it's for your own benefit. You, you say, You're You just want people to honor you. They didn't acknowledge the truth of the Torah until Hashem said, And then the guy said, oh, Now we see that you're not doing it for your own benefit. So the, the linchpin, the motivation for the world to recognize the truth of the Torah was the midst of Kibbut Aba'im. That's why at Mara, before Hashem gave the Torah at Sinai, He first gave the mitzvah of Kibbut Abayim as a hakdama to Kala Tarakula. Thank you very much for having me. I wish you tremendous bracha v'atzlacha. Have a successful rest of the summer and uh, hatzlacha in all of your endeavors. Thank you very much.